Good to be with you um, again this morning. Um, uh, as Jamie said earlier, if you're um, here for the first time or you're um, exploring um, faith, then you're really welcome here um, at the Lantern. We're in the middle of this, uh, this vision series. Um, uh, this is week three. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, I do encourage you to, to listen in on the podcast. You can find the talks online. There's talk notes you can get. Uh, just as I was, uh, just before... Um, this service started, somebody was telling me how brilliant Beth's talk was from last week um, when I was away up in Liverpool, so you can pick up on that as well, and then I gave the opening one the week before that. We're going to we'll recap a little bit as we um, go through this week's reading as well, because Paul does, um, but uh, I want to start with um, a, a different tack. Before the first service, we were praying, and um, into my mind's eye, for no reason I can otherwise explain... Um, uh, suddenly appeared in my mind a series of hugs I've had this week, bear with me, of hugs I've had this week. And I, I wondered why that was relevant. I, and I started thinking, praying about that in the worship before the, I came up the first time in the last talk, and I, I think it made a bit of sense. So bear with me in this. But um, there have been a series of hugs I've had this week. And some of them have been um, uh, your everyday kind of like uh, hugs I, before I drop off my daughters at school, I'll often give them a hug. And so uh, Leo and I will, are usually the ones dropping off Joy on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings when Michelle's working as well. And we go in there. One of the last things we do is we, we give her a hug and we all huddle in, the three of us. And I kind of say a few words. I sometimes just say, it's just become a, a mantra now. I'll say, um, have fun, learn lots, be kind. And I'll say, remember, God is good. Jesus loves you. Holy Spirit fill you. And off she goes trotting into her thing. And we have a little hug. Um, there are other types of hugs this week. There have been hugs at the end of the days when Michelle's got back from work or we finally put the kids to bed and we give each other a hug. And it's more of a kind of like you're leaning on each other. It's like, we've made it through another day. Where's that glass of wine? We survived. Um, that kind of a hug. Or there'll be the kind of the hug that uh, my middle daughter's teaching me a lot about hugs. Um, joy, in that she will just, uh, at random points during the day, she'll just go, hug time? <laughs> she just needs a hug. Are sometimes really awkward times when you're trying to get them out the door in the morning, hug time? <laughs> Another typical time is when she's soaking wet and just got out of the bath, hug time? Let me just dry you first, quick. Uh, but she's very good at asking for that hug time. It's, I guess part of one of her love languages is that. that. Um, I reminded, though, of other hugs. I remember hearing the story at the end of last um, year in the summer term. St. Mary's Ferndown did a thing where they, they got some people to come in and do some training, kind of outreach and street evangelism and stuff. And one of the things they suggested to Sarah, who's the vicar there, is they said, we want to set up this stall like outside the Tesco in Ferndown. Do you know what I mean, if you know Ferndown? And, uh, and we want to offer free hugs. Sarah was like, that's very un-British, that won't work in Ferndown. Um, no, she didn't. Thankfully, because she's wiser than me, she said, okay. Um, and, and she didn't think it would work, but she let them do it. You know, it was one of the most successful outreaches they've ever done. She was astonished at the number of people that took up that offer of a free hug and the conversations that fell out afterwards. It reminded me of another time. In my previous church, there was, this, there was a cafe space at the back of the church, and... Um, uh, one day, uh, uh, an elderly gentleman came in and uh, was just sat by himself, didn't look particularly happy. And uh, the curate at the time, a friend of mine called Dennis, went over and chatted to him. And, um, and he explained, the old man explained, that actually he was there because it was, um, that day was particularly important because actually it was two years since his wife had passed away. And, and Dennis did what felt like the most natural thing to him, is he just said, can I give you a hug? 
And so this man said, okay, and he gave him a hug. And he sat down. And you know what the man said? It's the first hug I've had in over two years. That was deeply, that was like the first proper physical contact he'd had in two years since his wife had died. Sometimes we all need a hug, <laughs> whether it's a hug time <laughs> or whether it's the first time in two years. So I'm going to ask you to do something that's deeply un-British and awkward. <laughs> can I invite you to stand and give someone around you a hug in the most sensitive way that you can? <laughs> Okay, okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough, order, order, <laughs> grab a seat again, some of you need to find a room, um, <laughs> um, grab a seat, um, I, I didn't do that just for the sake of it. You might remember that bit now about the hugs because you had to do that. Do you remember what Mike said? But um, I want to talk about something far more profound than, than, than just a hug, but what it represents. Because, of course, what a hug represents in all the seasons of life and the ups and downs, whether it's just sending off a kid to school or whether it's one of those deep and meaningful, important ones or just the end of the day exhausted ones, is they express something of relationship and of love, don't they? There's, in a hug, there's a sense that actually sometimes when we all need that, uh, that it feels like home. Uh, the verse that we were just encouraged to memorize talks about God making his home in our hearts, in Jesus. Jesus making his home in our hearts. What Paul talks about and prays for in this passage as we're about to explore is that in every sphere and every season of life that we would know the all-surpassing love of Christ. Not no, no. The height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. That it's in that that our foundations, our roots would go deep and become established. I wonder what your roots are in at the moment and how stable they feel, how strong they feel. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then that's fine. You're really welcome here. We love that you're here. But what are your roots in, in your life? And are you sure that they'll hold you in a storm? Are they giving you life in all its fullness? What are your roots planted in today? Because Paul, in verse 14 of our reading, in his desperation falls on his knees and says above anything else, if there's nothing else, Lord, please, would these people be able to grasp the love of Christ? The height and the depth and the, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. Would you strengthen them by your spirit and their inner being that they might have the power to grasp, to hold on to the love of Christ, the all-surpassing, all-encompassing, never-ending, unshakable, undeniable, death-defeating, life-transforming love of Christ. Put their roots in that, please, Lord. You know, we pray this for our children when we 
put them to bed because we recognize, like Paul recognizes for the children in his church, as it were, he can't do it. He's asking God to do what only he can do in their hearts and their lives. We pray that for our kids. Lord, would you fill them with your spirit that they would know your love and our love? Because we kind of know in our little family prayers, we're modeling this, I guess, or trying to, we kind of know that if they get that, by the grace and power of God, that whatever happens in their life, they'll be okay. What's fascinating about this prayer in this passage, I don't know if you noticed it right back in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, do open it or turn them on, <laughs> um, depending on your device. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's in prison in Rome whilst he writes this. He's speaking to a church that was daily experiencing persecution who are facing very difficult circumstances. I don't know what the circumstances you're facing that you come to church with today. But what's fascinating about his prayer is he doesn't once pray, God, get me out of jail. Would you change my circumstances? Would you ease their suffering? What he prays is that they would be strengthened in their inner being with the love of God. What he's suggesting is that what you're rooted in and what's inside your heart and your life is more powerful to overcome whatever is outside. And so the most important thing for you, the thing I get on my knees for for you, is that you would know the love of God, not that your circumstances necessarily would change. Not that God doesn't care about that. Of course he does. And frequently you see Paul praying in other examples for the needs and for the persecution and for the... It's not that he doesn't care about that. It's not that he doesn't love them. He's on his knees, broken-hearted before the Lord. But what does he pray for? That they know the all-surpassing love of Jesus Christ. This is really important stuff for us. Pat came up to me in the worship, in the first service, Pat Nesbitt, and he said he had this picture of um, like uh, an adult looking rather glumly down at a muddy puddle and thinking, Ugh. Quite apt for today. I can see a puddle right out there now. And then he said, and then some kids came on the scene and started splashing in the muddy puddle. Now, I'm not suggesting that your muddy puddles aren't very real and very muddy. But I am suggesting that the love of Christ can change those muddy puddles to make you feel more like muddy puddles. <laughs> not happy, joyful about the muddy puddles, but seeing them with a completely different light because you're a child of God filled with his love. Do you see? So let's um, recap a little bit how we've landed here before we come back to that and dig a little bit deeper. It's been an extraordinary series. It is an amazing, amazing book, the book of um, Ephesians. And so do listen to the talk. I can't run through them all, of course. But in week one, we talked about how there's more. That Paul expounds this extraordinary gospel of our redemption, of how God had set his heart, his mind on each one and every one of us before the dawn of time, predestined us to be part of his family. He set his heart upon us, his love fixed upon us to make us whole and holy in his love. Extraordinary stuff, amazing stuff. At the end of that passage, verse 22, 23, he talks about his vision for the church, and it's amazing. <laughs> he says, the church, which is the body of Christ, should be the fullness of Jesus in every, every place, everywhere. He's basically saying, you, the church, the body of Christ, are the fullness of Christ everywhere, in every situation, every day, to everyone. That's the vision of the church, that you would represent the fullness of Christ, which is his body, everywhere. 
That's a pretty grand vision. I'm not sure we're quite there yet as a church. In, verse, in chapter 2, which Beth um, expanded brilliantly last week, um, he talks um, about how each one of us is the handiwork of God, his masterpiece. Some of us do not think of ourselves as masterpieces, but God does. You are not an accident and you are not a mistake. You are unique and loved and precious, a masterwork in the hands of the God who created you. It goes on to talk about how the gospel unites everyone of every part of the world, from Saudi Arabia to Merli, um, that the vision of God is that we would be united under Jesus Christ and that we'd know his forgiveness. She talked about the great big but of the gospel last week. But you who were dead in your transgressions have now been made alive in Christ. Do you remember that, some of that stuff? I think some of when Paul talks about the height and depth of the love of Christ, that's part of what he's got in mind. He's like, the height. Think of, there's another amazing passage in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about, though Christ, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself humble and came as a servant to the depths of the earth, even to death, dead in your transgressions, that we might become alive and lifted to the heights of glory as heirs, as family of God. I think he's thinking of some of that. The breadth, all-encompassing love of Christ, the lengths to which he will go to, that all would know the love of Christ. It's an extraordinary passage, um, and it's an extraordinary picture that he gives us. He, he says that... Um, that this is all so that we may be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. I wonder how many people have said to you this week, have just come up to you, out, just out of the blue, and just said, there's something about you. You are filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. <laughs> Who's had someone say that to them this week? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Although I did hear about Nick Deacon, who was recently in Mexico with her mum seeking some cancer treatment having a chat with someone in a bed nearby from Ohio who said, there is something about you. And Nick said, it's Jesus, and prayed with her and led her to Christ. Is that fair enough? Is that about right? She was, she's playing down, but she was a part. But that's what happened. That's lost me. I've thrown me now. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to come back to this and I'll be reminded. Um, how, yeah, how many people have said to you that you're filled with all the measure of the fullness of God? That's what Paul's desire and prayer is for us. His desire and prayer for the, the church is this. In verse 10, you'll find it. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The message version says this, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. <laughs> is the Lantern Church being talked about even among the angels? Are there people in our community who might look to the church here and go, that's life. That's the manifold wisdom of God. I don't think we're there yet, are we? <laughs> but wonderfully, Paul also says elsewhere, not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And part of doing that is, uh, is 
found of how we do that is found in this extraordinary prayer from verse 14 onwards. So let's have a, a, a quick look again, just so you can follow it through in some key verses from uh, 14 down to 18, 19, and then we'll do a little bit more thinking about it before we come into land. First of all, first thing to notice, and we've referenced it briefly already. Verse 14, Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. What we need, and this is why we pray, is the divine work of God amongst us and amongst our community. We cannot do it with groups and with clever talks and with wonderful new worship leaders and uh, young adults groups and alpha courses and they're all well and good, they're brilliant. Women's breakfast, fantastic. Probably the best food you'll have um, (laughs) in this church. Um, Apart from maybe last night, of course, the first supper was amazing. Lynn, you did a brilliant job. All of that, though, is nothing unless the power of God is at work in our community. That is what makes this community unique, and that is what changes lives. And so Paul kneels before the Father to ask for what he cannot give, but that God in his glorious riches would. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is the family of God, that his vision is that everybody would be united, know him as Father, Jesus as their friend and Savior, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Through power, with power through his Spirit. You know, that is why we put an emphasis in all of our services on prayer ministry. Uh, and we invite people forward to receive a uh, a hug. I have to say, I'm, I'm hoping that the culture of prayer and praying for one another will only grow and grow in this church, and that the use of that space will grow and grow as we all recognize our need, whether it be a daily top-up kind of hug time, or whether it be, I need a hug. Because what's on offer here, when we invite people to come forward, is an encounter with the love of Christ, that through the power of the Holy Spirit you would be strengthened in your inner being. That's what it's about. That's why we prioritize it and create space for it. I would love that we all would have a bit more of the attitude of joy about it. Hug time? (laughs) We all need it. Every day. Not just on Sunday even. Verse 17, first half of verse 17. Um, pray that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that he would make his home in your hearts. Do you know that truth and reality today? Or does he just occasionally come for like a bed and breakfast appointment? Is he at home? Are you at home in him? Does he go with you? into your day every day? Do you, do you know that you can talk to him any time? Are you in relationship with him? Has he made his home in your heart? Second half, verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, and it goes on, may have power together with all Lord's people to grasp, hold on to how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Pray that you would be rooted and established in love. It's a really helpful image, and I'm going to get you to think about it um, and to make sure that you're awake. <laughs> um, 
rooted and established in love. Can you chat to the people quickly around you? What do, um, what do roots of trees do? What are the purpose of roots of trees? Have a quick chat with the person next to you. You might learn something you didn't know. <laughs> Okay. Begin to draw your discussions to close. Hopefully you've managed to find something in that time that, that roots do. Um, uh, if you want to shout out, what do roots do for trees? What do the roots do? Feed them. They feed them, like just every day, trying to give them the moisture, to, uh, the, the water to grow and to be fruitful. Yep. Stop them falling over. Gives them stability. Stability to, that will enable them to, to actually grow higher. Um, and grow bigger, yeah. What else? Yeah, we've got a tree in our garden, um, which uh, we were advised to cut down because some of the seeds are poisonous to our children. And um, actually, Heather advised, advised us to do that. And we've cut down all of the branches, but we haven't got to like cutting the roots and removing it fully yet. And it started growing again because <laughs> the roots have gone deep enough that even when I chop off all the branches, it can still find new life. So I've got to do a better job. <laughs> that, that's where the analogy breaks down. This tree is going to die. Um, <laughs> uh, anybody else? What do roots do? Strengthen the storms. So I remember reading once about oak trees, that they're actually as big underground as they are above the ground. Somebody told me after the first service that actually storms are productive for trees' roots. They actually stimulate greater growth. They give them greater strength for the next storm. They're actually, there's a purpose to them. It's not just that the roots are there to help them withstand the storm, but they strengthen them for the next one. So the roots are really important. They give life for the everyday. They give stability so that they can grow higher and bigger and more fruitful. They give them strength for the storms that they wouldn't be uprooted but that they'd stay. And even when everything else seems to be cut away, if your roots go deep enough, new life can come. Do you see why Paul used that analogy? And it's, he says what we needed to be is to be rooted and established in what? In coming to church every Sunday? In a particular ministry? Rooted and established in what? In love. people hear that? The roots store the potential for the year to come and not just what is needed there at the time. If you have any more questions about trees or roots, ask Heather. She knows everything, <laughs> everything about them. And you know what? It is a good thing that Heather isn't giving the talk today or we would be here till next week. She knows that much. Um, <laughs> Paul says this, that they would know... Um, 
the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ, that they would be rooted and established in love. And, and a fascinating phrase here, <laughs> verse 19, and that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? What does he mean? You would know the love that surpasses knowledge. Well, in some ways, actually, it's quite simple. You know stuff in a hug that isn't head knowledge, don't you? The things that you know, that you don't just know. It might be that today you're here and you've been a Christian for years and you know, but you need a fresh again to know. It might be here, that you're here today, as I've mentioned before, that you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And I would say you can know. I was so challenged by this this week, and um, forgive me for sharing this story. It's not meant to draw attention to myself, but in many ways, my, my weakness, and I'm not sure I do this kind of thing enough, but this week I was in Southampton, and I was going back to my car, and um, uh, there was a woman there begging, a homeless woman um, called Tasha, and um, she asked some money, and I didn't have any change on me. I genuinely didn't. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I really I haven't got anything to give you. Think, think about that for a second, for homeless people in an increasingly cashless society. What are we going to do? How can the church help with that, for example? Anyway, that's a, just a random thought. But I was like, actually, I, don't, I really don't have anything, and um, I'm really sorry. And I got my car, and I started leaving. I knew I needed to get back here. I've got school I to do. I had to pick up Ava. I had places to go, people to see. And, um, but as I drove away, I, I, just, I just thought, Mike... You've just been listening on the way here to this reading again that you know of a love that surpasses all knowledge that is greater than anything else in life, that it is the thing that your life should be rooted and established in, that if it's rooted and established in anything else, you will not grow up healthy, you will not be stable in the storms, you will not... You know this, don't you? And I, I jumped to that story, you'll probably remember, you'll probably already be there. There's a great story of Peter and John early in Acts when they're going to the temple and they stop by a gate called Beautiful and there's someone begging. And he says, he's asking them for money and Peter looks at him and he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And I remember thinking, Mike, do you really believe that what you have is more important than a few coins of change which you didn't have. And so, of course, I had to turn the car around. And then in the centre of Southampton, you know that to go around the block takes quite a while. <laughs> it wasn't like a quick turnaround. But I, I worked my way back, and the sat nav took me about five miles that way. Anyway, I got, got back, parked again. By that time, Tasha had been joined by her boyfriend, Kenny, as well. And I, I said, look... I, I walked past you a second ago, I don't know if you remember, and I said that I didn't have any change, and I don't have any change, but I don't do this all the time. Probably don't do this as much as I should, but I am a Christian. I do believe that what I do have is more important to you than any coins I could give you. Have you got five minutes? Could I share what I mean by that? And she let me. She said, yeah. 
I sat down next to her, and to her and her boyfriend, as best as I could, as broken as I could, leaning on some training I once got that I don't use enough, I shared the gospel with her. And I said, and I, I'd love to pray for you if you'd let me. I said, I can't introduce Jesus physically to you now, but do you, do you see the wind and the way it's blowing the trees? She's like, yeah. He said, I said, do you, can you feel the wind? And she said, yeah. Well, you can't see the wind, but I believe that if you let Jesus into your heart, you can feel and know Jesus' love for you. Would you let me pray for you? She said, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd like that. I prayed for her. Just a really simple, short prayer that she would open the door of her heart and she would let Jesus in, that she'd know his love and his peace and that he would provide for all of her needs, practical, but her much deeper need. And at the end, there wasn't like any like lightning crashes or anything like that, but she just smiled at me and she said, thank you. And I said, look, if you want to find more, I happen to know that, do you know the church St. Mary's in Southampton? It's just recently reopened. I know the vicar there. You can ask for John, he'll give you 50 quid. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, um, I really should have said that. I would have stitched him up. Um, but I said, you find John, he can tell you more about what I've been trying to explain. There's an alpha course which will explain a lot more. I hope and pray that God would find, provide for all of your needs. I'm sorry I can't give you more now, but I've given you what I can. Bless you. And I left. I don't tell you that to kind of go, isn't Mike great? It doesn't happen enough for me. And and that's just one example. But do I really believe this? How does it affect how I'm going to live my life tomorrow? With what urgency does it give my spirit in the conversations that I'm having with people? Do I really believe it? I do. I do. I know it to be true. I'm lost to this. I think many of you are. Because I've experienced it and I know it. It's not in a book, it's in here. The power of God at work in my inner being that I would know the height and depth and length and breadth of the love of Christ. And you can too. And we all need it, whether it's a hug time or a hold me. Hug time. This church, you are made to be filled with all the measure of the fullness of Christ. As you let him make his home in your heart and your roots go deep into his love, we as a church are to portray the manifold wisdom of God in all of this to the angels, let alone to Merley and to Wimborne. Uh, my prayer for us, I hope some of your prayers for us on a Thursday morning or in your own prayer times, would be that the people in this church might be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God, that they would know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ in Jesus. I can't do it, so let's pray that the Spirit would. Can you stand? I'm going to pray for us.